this week I was taking Anderson to swim lessons. And on the way, it's only a couple blocks away from where we're living, he asked me this question. He said, Daddy, why do people kill each other? Wow, what a question. Why do people kill each other? Now, we, uh, we do our best to shelter um, our children from news. Uh, we don't have cable at our house, so uh, the only news he hears is either what we're talking about, uh, and probably, it probably is our fault that he's picked up on some of these things, but as much as we try to shelter um, kind of the news as more and more as we've created generations that are desensitized to death, uh, you know, it's nothing. It used to be, you know, if someone was shot and killed on the TV screen, uh, they kind of, there was a gun and it was done. And now they, every, every, every single show is like a CSI. Uh, it's like, a, you know, blood splatter and everything else. And so we've grown more and more desensitized to the realities around us, to the point that life, uh, we kind of, I think for a lot of our people, we don't really understand what are the consequences of some of the actions that we take. And so when he asked this question this week, you know, it, it hits home as to, you know, what, why do people kill each other? Um, the thing about children is that if you ask my son uh, if he has any uh, Hispanic friends or if you ask my son does he have any black friends, that's not in his scope. Uh, he just has friends. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing to me uh, in our country that, you know, children are never the problem, never have been the problem. Children learn behavior from guardians, from parents, from, from people that they respect, mentors. And make no, make no mistake about it, you're mentoring somebody whether or not it's in an official capacity. People are watching you. People are listening to what you say. They're listening to the rants that you put on Facebook they're watching those things. And so this week, is, we've had so many things go on in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the travesty, of course, in Dallas. This morning I learned of another one in San Antonio. And uh, as uh, just our nation continues in this onslaught of killing and racial divide and whatnot. And here's the thing about it, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm going to just name the, uh, call the elephant in the room. Um, fixing race alone will not solve these issues. Uh, having equality is important. It's a noble act. It's the right thing to do. But when we don't value life to begin with, all the counseling, all the diversity conferences, all the forums, all the community watch programs, none of that will ever matter until everybody matters. You and I are at a, a place in our time, and when you look in Romans chapter 1, man alive. It's not, a, it's not a passage that you want to have a Sunday school lesson out of. It's not a passage that really you're drawn to. I mean, when you're in a depressed mood, when you're in a cynical mood, you don't want to go to Romans chapter 1, because Romans chapter 1 describes the culture of the New Testament day. And what rings out so true is it speaks to today's Times. I want you to think about this. The wrath of God is being revealed. We don't like the wrath of God to begin with. And in fact, so many pulpits across this country won't even mention it. And then some, that's all they talk of. 
But the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of human beings who suppress the truth uh, by their wickedness. And then uh, it goes into to pretty, pretty good detail. Uh, God gave them over uh, to their shameful lust. And, and then it goes on to say in verse 28, that they have become, verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no Mercy, even though they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. When you and I read Romans chapter 1, it's like it's cut out of the headlines of every major news station. And whether, you know, some of you want to focus on CBS News, some of you go to ABC, some of you go to Fox, some of you go to whatever. It doesn't matter the news channel that you go to. From beginning to end, pretty much, it's negative. Now you say, well, that's not true. I watch the CBS Evening News and I watch ABC and it ends on a positive note every evening. They do that intentionally because 29 minutes of the 30 minutes is all about the depravity. So they kind of want to you know, kind of interest you in a, a hopeful note of something. They want to end well. Beginning well, ending well, but hell in the middle. And that's what encapsulates Romans chapter 1, particularly verses 18, specifically verses 18 through 32. And if you and I are not careful, we will read Romans and we will throw the baby out with the bathwater and we'll pretend, much like what the Israelites did, uh, if you ever have a chance, you should sit one afternoon and read the book of Amos. Amos is a prophet and he's speaking against the sins of Israel and you kind of get this picture that Israel's in the backdrop, God's people are in the backdrop and they are poking fun at everybody around them that God's wrath is burning against. And kind of the infamous statement of Amos is, for three transgressions, for three sins, yes, even for four, God will not withdraw his wrath. In other words, God's wrath is going to be done. And so God's people are sitting back and they're watching this drama unfold in the book of Amos and they're poking fun. Ha, ha, ha. Look at you, Judah. You're getting what's come to you. Look at those people over there. God, you get them. You smite. You just, you just obliterate them. But then it becomes Israel's time to be under the fire of God. And suddenly they don't want wrath. They want mercy. They want grace. Listen, anybody who has ever been under the crucible of God's wrath will always scream for mercy, even though they may not know God. Everybody wants God's grace when it really matters. Nobody wants to give God's grace unless it's for them personally. You and I are living in a time and in a culture. And listen, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes tells us. There's a season for everything under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, as the song goes and whatnot. But if we're not careful, we will allow our worldview 
And what we see in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 to become our flagship verses of the way we respond to the world. And, and make no mistake, people are already doing this because you and I have a decision to make in, in, in our view of this scripture. One is, we can view the world through the lens that everything is good and all God's children, sort of like the, uh, the Robert Browning uh, poem song from Pippa Passes, some of you may know it. The years at the spring and days at the morn, mornings at seven, the hillsides do pearl, the larks on the wing, the snails on the thorn, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. You kind of get this kind of, you hear the little Tweety Bird in the background. You know. Very peaceful, very elegant, very nice. God's in his heaven. All's right with the world. He has his cute little lovely place. I have my cute little lovely place. I have my spiritual life, my home life, my work life, my chaotic life, my sin life. We don't want to talk about that. That was the one we keep behind. But everything has its right place. And every so often the spotlight shines on the work life. And every so often the spotlight shines on the home life. And every so often we allow God's light to shine on the spiritual life or whatnot. As if life can be compartmentalized and that there are separations to all these compartments that we've made. As Western thinkers, we're very good at having a category or label for everything and every person under the sun. But life is not that simple because if we are really honest with our spiritual walk, with our talk and our behavior, and we look in Romans chapter 1, some of us will think, I'm doing good, God. I'm doing good. The wrath of God is being poured against the ungodlessness, the ungodly. We're excited about that. We're excited about that. Thank God it's not us. The wickedness of human beings who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They are corrupt. They are depraved. They are deserving of the mighty wrath of God. And the more we talk, the more syllables we add. The more high and mighty we think we are. And we begin being condescending to everybody around us that's not in our group. Because our group, our friends, our church... Our little faith community has arrived. We know God. We know His truth. Our job is to stand for the truth and to stand against the ungodliness of the godlessness of our time, the ungodliness of our time. And so we stand for righteousness, we stand for truth, but what it costs is we lose the people that God so wants to reach by our spouting venom and evil and judgment and wrath. And you see, if we only had Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, we'd be doing such a good job. But we have 65 other books in the New and Old Testament, 26 in the New, 39 in the Old, 26 more in the new, 39 in the old, total of 66 books that speak of God's overwhelming work in human history. And there are seasons of time where God's wrath burned against people. But here's the thing. God's wrath burns against ungodliness whether it's been baptized in righteousness or not. So when you and I look in Romans chapter 1... And we get high and mighty about, well, I'm so glad I'm not one of them. 
And then we get to verse 26. And verses 26 through 27, I, I've heard, listen, for the last 15 years, I've had sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after radio program, television program, conference after conference. We'll take up verses 26 and 27 and talk about homosexuality and all these other sexual uh, issues. And some of you are tired of me getting on this kick. And I'm going to continue to be on the kick because here's the thing. We're losing the battle. We're losing people left and right. We're losing people all around us. Because we focus on those two verses rather than focusing on the entirety. And when we look in verses 28 and following, 26 and 27, all about. Verses 28. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to depraved minds so that, they, might, that the, they, will, uh, they will do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. We're there. We're good. We're judging it. We're good on that. Evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy. Murder. I've not murdered anybody. Have you? Strife, deceit, malice. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Then we go into the Baptist line of thinking. Verse 29b and 30. They are gossips. Thank goodness it's not saying we are gossips. They are gossips. Slanderers. They are gossips. Slanderers. Have you ever gossiped about anybody? You ever slandered anybody? Even in private? Then we get a little bit of reprieve. God haters. I'm not a God hater. I'm a God lover. Insolent. Arrogant, boastful, invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Wow. We never did that. I was a perfect child. I was the firstborn. Never disobeyed my parents. Ever. Still don't. Never. Doesn't say anything about liars either. It says they have no understanding no fidelity, faithfulness, commitment. Is there any loud cry of commitment in our generation today? Where are committed people? Committed to a team, committed to a family, committed to a church. Commitment is waning all over the place, whether Christian or non-Christian. No love. And here's the big one. No mercy. We want mercy for ourselves. But we want it to cost somebody else something. We want mercy for ourselves because we know how bad we have been. We know what it's like to look in the mirror on a Monday morning... And recognize how far we are from what we know and what we believe to be the truth of God and who He has created us to be. We know what Monday looks like. We know what Tuesday looks like. We know what Wednesday looks like. And what we see is an incompatibility between what goes on on Sunday and what the reality is Monday through Saturday. But nonetheless, we desire God's mercy. When we look at these passages, as I said, there's several ways that we can view 
We can take what is the Robert Browning approach where everything's right in this world, everybody's happy-go-lucky, we're all on a hippie ride. <laughs> Peace to all creatures. We live in harmony with the animals and the plants. We dare not eat an animal or eat a plant. Everything, when all's right in the world, everybody's good in harmony. Mm, can't you hear that humming? But that monastic tendency on our part to not see what is before us is a complete, a complete denial of the reality that not only we are called to live in, but that we are called God, by God to be transformers of that very culture, transforming them through the power of Christ to know Jesus and to make him known. So there's those of us who are in denial. Then there are those of us who are in my position um, in churches all across this land that believe as they look out and as they peer, their worldview is shaped by the depravity. Depravity is everywhere and all they see before them is a wasteland. Lost causes, lostness. And they believe that the righteous are very few and far between. And they always believe that their way is God's way. It encapsulates the truth. It is the truth. And there can be no deviation from their viewpoint. And churches are full of leaders today, full of Christians today, full of parishioners today that would fall in line. So two extremes. One that sees everything as happy-go-lucky and they've got their head in the sand. And then the second one that sees the wrath of God being poured out against everybody and they're more than willing to spew them out of their mouth because they are the remnant, they are the holy, they are the righteous. They are Israel in the book of Amos as they look and as they laugh at the condemnation that God brings and the wrath that God brings on everybody else. But let that crucible be experienced by those said leaders and those parishioners. And you and I will witness and we will see what every single person needs to experience. And that is a complete brokenness and an absolute desperation for somebody to do something. I would submit to you that if only we had Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32, we might be able to look through the lens of wasteland. But the Bible speaks specifically time and time and time and time and time again of the fact that it's reverberated all over the Old and New Testament that God's love stands forever. As Jesse read this morning from Romans, Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of the universe will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because when we are in right relationship with Him, when we have surrendered our lives to Him, when we have surrendered our pithy judgments of other people, when we have surrendered our religion, when we have surrendered our faith, when we have surrendered everything that we believe about God and everything that we believe about other people, when we lay it all down in absolute desperation, completely empty, We gain an amazing worldview because we recognize from where we have come. We recognize where we are. 
and we look towards a promised and complete future. And as we look in that worldview, yes, there is darkness. Yes, there is depravity. Yes, there is murder. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there is crime. Yes, there is strife. Yes, there is jealousy. Yes, there are bribes. Yes, there are corruption. But in the midst of all of that smoke and darkness and rubble and chaos and brokenness that we experience personally... we're able to see a glimmer of light, a smidgen of hope that we recognize that we so desperately needed in our time, but we also recognize that this glimmer of hope and this light has the ability to dispel all darkness. What does the Bible tell us In Romans chapter 1, well, for those of us who are followers of Christ, and even for those who may not yet come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, we're told we have no excuse. You know, we live in a culture that provides excuses for everything. Why didn't you do your homework? It used to be my dog ate it. Now it's in mama's car because I'm staying with daddy through this week and... Uh, he picked me up from mom's and so I left it in her car. No excuse. It used to be, you know, as we give excuses when mom would come to me and say, Todd, I need you to wash the dishes. I need you to take out the trash. I didn't really give an excuse. I was a little bit better than giving an excuse because an excuse would be given a pop. And so what I, what I would say is, um, I will. I will. Uh-huh. I will. And see, that uh, my mother was an English major, um, and so she took I will for maybe two nanoseconds, uh, and then she informed me, I will is a statement of future tense. I'm not interested in your future, son. If you want to have a future, you better do what I've asked for you to do in the present. I want to hear nothing less than I am. I am. Later on when I was high school, I realized that A correlation of that is to be or not to be, that is the question. And sometimes being can be defined by obedience to your mother or obedience to your father, but more importantly, obedience to the one who's created us for far more than we could ask or imagine. We are without excuse. And the Bible says his power and what has been made, we are supposed to look to the creator rather than the creation. So many of us look at what we can see. Now I had the privilege, as many of these students did, to be at Panama City Beach a week ago. And as I went out on the beach uh, one of the mornings that we were there, you take it all in. Uh, And I look out and I'm thinking, how in the world could anybody not believe in a creator that has created all things and who has given us hope through a person named Jesus Christ. How could anybody deny divine activity? How could anybody believe this is by chance? And yet there are some that still do. The reality is, I don't know if you know this, but I did a little bit of research on it. 
that the earth and moon and stars that are suspended in space, okay, the moon that we have is located in the exact location that it needs to be in order for our oceans and tides to work properly well. Now, I don't know all the details about the science, but this just amazes me. Also, the earth is tilted at a certain degree so as to make life at an optimal level where we can have life, sustainability, and whatnot. The, the revolution of the earth is at such a speed, perfect speed, that if it was any faster, any slower, we would be in serious trouble. If it was to, listen, if the tilt of the earth was altered a half of a degree, life would not exist on this planet. If our distance from the sun were any closer or any further away, Life would not exist. So I give all the people that do not want to believe in Christ, do not want to believe in God, and they've come up with this Big Bang. Okay? Big Bang's been around for a long time. I wholeheartedly believe in it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When he said, let there be light, bam, bang, poof, it appeared. Ladies and gentlemen, it is far easier to have faith in a divine and absolute creator than it is to believe in the uncanny coincidence that science sometimes wants to introduce. I would submit to you that science is not a disproving of Scripture. Science continues, continues to speak of an absolute divine being, divine action. And here's the thing. You get an astrophysicist, you get Stephen Hawking in this room to talk about the beginnings. He can tell you how it began. He just say, it happened. It, you know, these elements just... Well, what caused? Something has to cause something. Listen... God always causes action. The reason that you and I believe in a divine God, the reason that we come to faith in Christ is not on our own accord. It's because God was working in our hearts, minds, and souls before we ever knew him. He knew us in the womb. We or without excuse, when we look out along the horizon and the worldview that we have, and we take in and we absorb all that there is to absorb, it speaks to a divine creator who demonstrates power and who has demonstrated his power in our time and our location. If you don't believe in the absolute power of God, where were you during the storm the other night? Out of nowhere, <laughs> trees. Like toothpicks. And my son was hopping from the couch to the kitchen everywhere. Oh, I mean, popcorn. Oh, can we go outside? Can we go touch that power line? Is it still alive? I don't feel like doing a funeral this week. Please refrain. We are without excuse. Let me tell you a big thing that we're out without excuse for. Let me tell you the number one thing we're good about giving excuses we're good about giving an excuse of why we haven't shared the hope of the gospel with people. Well, it's just not been the time. Well, I don't, I don't want to offend my parents. I don't, I don't want to offend my coworker. I don't want to offend my spouse. I don't want to offend my child. You and I are without excuse. 
You want to live a fulfilling life? It begins by embracing the call of God first to salvation and second to ministry. Every single one of us has a ministry to take the gospel to the end of the earth so that we can all be just like the Apostle Paul and say without hesitation, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for in it, what? There's power. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to lift up the depravity. He's mighty to take the storms and the chaos and the the murk and all the the negative things that we experience. And here's what I want to say to many of us today. Please, please, please don't be cynical about the world. Don't give up on people who are lost around us. Don't expect them to live a Christ-filled life when you and I have not shared with them the Christ-filled gospel. Expect lost people to live like they're lost. Be patient and kind. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient and kind. And at the end of the passage, what's the greatest thing that we can exhibit? Love. Why? Love wins. Love conquers everything. Wrath just leaves a pile of ash. So don't make an ash out of yourself. Some of you are going to be tweeting that. Don't make an ash out of yourself. Love deeply. And be moved by God who desperately, desperately loves you. And in the midst of our greatest desperation, He is the light. He is the hope. Because make no mistake about this, that when you and I, as Paul describes in chapter 1 of Romans, when you and I choose not to follow God, we ultimately choose our own Look at verse 24 of the passage. It says, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies to one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Don't miss the point though. Don't just assume that verse 24 and 25 are talking just about sexual impurity. It mentions that. But name whatever sin you commit. Name whatever your life inhabits. See, sin grows in our lives. When you and I worry about something, when we sow a worry, we reap a problem. If we don't do anything about that problem, when we sow that problem, we reap a habit. That habit that is cultivated, that we do nothing about, when it goes unchecked, when we sow that habit... It informs and creates a character. And that character under the auspice of continuing in that habit, continuing with that problem, continuing with that worry, your character and my character reaps a destiny. And it is all about choice. We have a choice. Sort of like Joshua had in the Old Testament. You have a choice that lies before you. You will either choose life or you will choose death. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want any part of death. I want life. And so when my body is laid out 
in front of this pulpit because that's how long I'm going to be here. When my life is laid out in front of this pulpit and you go and you say, gosh, Jerry Barnett should have done a little bit better job with the makeup on him uh, for the day as my body's laid out. Don't feel sorry for me. Celebrate. Because I've not died. Because to be absent from this body is to be in the presence of Christ. I will not taste death and neither will you. For all of those who choose life. Choose life that you might live is what Joshua tells us. Don't grow cynical. Don't be so overwhelmed by the evil that's all around that you can't see Christ who's at the center he needs to be at the center of our universe. He needs to be at the center of our lives. Science has it again correct. The center of our universe is the sun. The center of our universe, as people of faith, is the sun, the most high, Jesus Christ. And all that we do needs to revolve around him, making sure we stay centered in him making sure that he is at the center of our universe notice I'm saying he and not me is Christ at the center of your universe have you grown cynical in your relationship have you become judgmental and caustic and negative in your fellowship of Christ do we see a happy garden of Eden before us? Do we see a wasteland of depravity? Or do we in the midst of all the problems and circumstances see the hope of Jesus Christ? Do we merely know the truth or are we embracing it? Do we respect God? Do we respect one another to do that which is right. Having fidelity, having love, and being merciful. This morning, the invitation is simply this. You may be here this morning and you're reading Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and some or all of those things mentioned has been an integral part of your story. And today you come and you say, Man, I am, I'm not as good, nearly as good as what I thought I was. And the beauty of that is when we empty ourselves and we become honest with self, God discloses his mercy and his grace, which are absolutely transforming to our lives. I want you to look around. How many of you have been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ? I want you to look around, look around the room, keep the hands raised. Look at the people that the grace of Jesus Christ has transformed their life. And here's the thing, if it's worked for them, as Jerry's saying, it can work for you. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I want to be a part of a family, I want to be a part of a church that is gracious and loving and compassionate. And I, I'll, admit, I'll admit my fault first and foremost. If I'm going to err in preaching and theology, I will err on the side of grace. Because grace is what changed my life. I will always do that. I will unapologetically do that. God's wrath is real. But God's grace is much more enriching. 
And you and I are faced with decision. Choose life or choose death. We at First Baptist Church choose life so that we might live and that we might flourish in the land that God has given to us. The life that He's given to us. Making the most of every opportunity, being unashamed of the gospel that has changed us, unashamed of being merciful, unashamed of Him who made a way in our story, who made a way in our lives when some others may have given up on us, when we've been disillusioned and hurt by other people's statements or emails or whatever it might be. There's power in the cross. There's hope in Jesus Christ. And for many of us, we just need a little glimmer of light in the midst of our story, in the midst of our history, in the midst of our worldview. He makes all things new. He turns our ashes into beauty. Isn't it time today for you to receive that? Isn't it time today for you to know that? Isn't it time today to share that? It will change not only your life, it will change everyone around you. Be centered in Him. Allow Jesus to be at the center of your universe. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you today in this invitation as we sing about your amazing grace. And Father, as we respond in this invitation... Father, for those who need to trust in you for the first time, for those who need to commit themselves, for those of you who have been defined, for those of us who have been defined by the negativity and a cynicism that's so around us, for those of us who have been overwhelmed by the evil that is out there, God, may we be completely, completely, completely overwhelmed by you. Father, continue to speak to us. Let us hear from you. May we answer our call as you give us life. And may you help us to fulfill the ministry that you've called us to. Sharing your hope. Giving your light. Believing in people. Not only just believing in you, but believing in people. Because through you and by you, the potential for salvation... Is there. And God, we love you. We thank you that you never give up on us. You pursue us with everything, not only just to get our attention, but to help us live the life that we have so desperately needed. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and as we open this altar, uh, perhaps you need to come and pray privately. Perhaps you need to go to someone in this congregation that you've been estranged from. Maybe a sibling, maybe a parent. I don't know what it is. You make it right. You do what's right. You forgive just as you have been forgiven. Allow grace to rain down in your relationships, in your life. And you'll be amazed at how your life changes for the better. If you're here today and you would like to join our church family, we welcome you. Love to have you. That you can utilize and plug in to the ministries of First Baptist Church, making His will known, advancing His kingdom, touching people one life at a time. As we sing Amazing Grace, won't you stand? Won't we respond together? <laughs>